Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, gentlemen, here we are. Glad to be back with you. Week two, Upside Down Kingdom. Uh, Pastor Joby, we started off last week with the kind of the overview of the kingdom of God in the series. And this week we talked about money. So why money on the second week? Uh, according to Jesus in the text we cover, it seems to be that money is the number one competitor for our heart. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably the greatest blind spot of 21st century evangelicals. Mm. So that's why I wanted to go after it. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You read about Christians in the past, and you think, how in the world could you be a Christian and own people or burn people for an English Bible? You know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm afraid one day future Christians may look at our culture and say, how could you be a Christian and do money exactly the way the world said do money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Jesus' teaching on like 40% of his sermon content. Correct. It's like 16 out of 38 parables. Hmm. And then you said one out of 10 verses in the Gospels? Yeah. So the non-red, the non-red letter verses, one out of 10 in total, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about finances or how to handle your possessions. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because he was in a context where they weren't, it's not, it wasn't 21st century America, right? Right. And so- that tells you something about how universally applicable it is because they weren't storage unit people, right? They were agricultural. They were living day to day, and he still he still went after money. Um, so we talked about, a lot about uh, storing up treasures in heaven. Um, I had a weird thought. Like, can you, you know, some people are kind of competitive about getting rich or making investments. Like, can you be competitive about like having more riches in heaven than like the next guy? Or is that like a, is that too weird? I, I don't know if, if you can be competitive about that or should be competitive about that. That said, many decades in evangelical church, that was seemingly a theme mm-hmm. for a long time was – you know, bigger houses, more soul winning mm-hmm. was the phrase. Mm-hmm. This is where this is kind of how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that with soul winning. We're winning souls. You want any souls lately? Mm-hmm. And as if they were mine to win. You know what I mean? As I said, I think the spirit of it was more people in the kingdom, more people surrendered to Jesus, more people saved. Okay, great. Benefit of the doubt. The other side of that was like, you know, thermometers and counting and metrics around and I'm all for celebrating everyone more that surrenders their life to Jesus I'm not but when it crosses over into like competition the spirit of we're bigger badder and better that's it's dangerous in my opinion mm-hmm. uh and you I think if Joby and I are in a race on who gets the the better cul-de-sac in heaven <laughs> we're missing the point mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah, yeah. so there was a time when that was really common, right? Like For talking sure. about your mansion in heaven, right? And a jewel in your crown, you know? It doesn't seem to be as common anymore. Yeah, don't you think the question, I mean, at the core of this whole parable and everything you taught tonight, 
the question really is, what is your treasure? Hmm. Right? It's not the, the like if the if you're fixated on the things you're going to get in heaven, you're missing the point of heaven. Yeah, that's not heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, are are there going to be actual mansions? You know, the the Greek word that Jesus uses in John actually just means one house with a bunch of rooms. So, mm-hmm. I it's going to be at least the worst heaven can be is streets of gold and mansions. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst. Mm-hmm. I think if now we see through a glass dimly, then we will see clearly. It's even way better than that. Mm-hmm. So, if I were to, you know, if I were to ask you when you were four, what would heaven be? Mm-hmm. And you said, every it would be ponies and everything would be made of cotton candy. Right. That does not sound like heaven to me whatsoever. Yeah. As a grown person, mm-hmm. right? And even to you, the same human, mm-hmm. however many years later, I think there could be some of that too. Mm-hmm. But the physical descriptions are heaven. It's just the best. Mm-hmm. Spirit-led imagination that the gospel writers, the the Bible writers, could think of to describe eternity with God, where there's no tears and there's plenty of food. Mm-hmm. It's all about His glory. The problem with the whole competition thing is there is no competition without glory. Mm-hmm. In heaven, all glory goes to Him. So even the crowns that we have, regardless of how many jewels, mm-hmm. according to Revelation, we take those things off and lay them at the mm-hmm. feet of Jesus. They're not even our crowns. No doubt. That's yeah. right. I was. This may take us all kinds of places, and I'm not. Let's go. That said, I was standing at the end of a church service one time down front as a pastor, just wanting to shake hands and say, hey, this was at a serving at a different church. And in the sermon... That day, the pastor played a clip of someone who claimed slash gave testimony that they had passed from, they had caught a glimpse of heaven in a near-death or a death experience. That's a generous way to, to put it. And this lady comes down to me at the end of the service, and she just is beside herself, right? And she says, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you don't know my friend, whatever her friend's name was. Uh, my friend passed away, and I'm not kidding. She literally said, and all she ever wanted to do was ride an elephant. And after seeing that video, I now know that what heaven is is us getting to do what we always wanted to really do here on earth. And so I know my friend is just in heaven riding elephants. Now. I'm not making that up. How did you handle that, Pastor? <laughs> I, I had many, I had many like conflicting emotions at the time, uh, <laughs> and, and I do remember clearly hugging the woman. Good, I'm proud and, of you, and saying we should sit down and talk. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, just yeah. sitting with her and talking and unpacking uh, that. Nobody intentionally led her astray, but there is a human compulsion to. Being a Christian is me being a better version of myself, or mm-hmm. me be- going to heaven is me experiencing a better reality, which is just a glorified version of what I want to experience here. You see what I'm saying? Correct. And at the center of all of that is us getting ours. Correct. And that's just fundamentally different than what the Bible teaches us, which is not us getting ours, but us getting something better, which is us getting Him. Correct. In His kingdom. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that's a long story. Yeah, so the theologically back. correct answer to that lady would be, you're right, except in the glorified version, all you want is him, and mm-hmm. you get all of him. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's better than elephants. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no doubt.
It's funny how, uh, and I think it's going to happen a lot through this series, how inevitably when you're talking about the upside upside down kingdom, you're talking about the kingdom of heaven, you think a lot about heaven. You think a lot about maybe your misconceptions of heaven. Maybe you're, the lady who you're talking to was referring to the the quote that's like you just do whatever you want and you have no regrets, um, and I think that re- even that requires some explanation and context because you you need that sanctified desire Correct. and that changed nature and all you want to do is like you said is enjoy God and who's going to regret that? <laughs> right. Um, you quoted Francis Ch- Francis Chan tonight and said that everything in life ultimately ends in regret or reward. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's got a lot of power. No doubt. If you can dig through the layers of it. Mm. Particularly when you talk about the treasures that he has given you, and then and then do you in turn, in a gospel response, treasure him with the treasures you've been given. For sure. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your house or your car or your clothes or whatever, man. I mean, if you make that about you, it will lead to regret. Mm-hmm. And there is a way, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, about the things we do in secret with the right motivations to glorify God, there mm-hmm. is a reward. There is. Could you help, you know, me and others who who are reading, you know, and you read the word treasure, and sometimes the word treasure in the Bible means money, and so, and sometimes it means something that you treasure. Is there a way to tell, you know what I mean? Because sometimes we use those interchangeably, the things you treasure versus treasure. Yeah, what's crazy about treasure itself is how how close those two things are aligned. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, they really do like the, you ask why well, start with money, man, because the heart and treasure that we treasure, how apart from the expulsive work of the Spirit of God toppling idols in our life, it, you just can't tell where one begins and the other ends. Mm-hmm. They grab a hold of us. Mm-hmm. And so... <clears throat> And I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, God's not making mistakes when he uses words like that. And mm-hmm. you say, in this moment, is this the things I value or are these valuables? And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. be careful. Be mm-hmm. careful. Yeah. Would you say, would it be fair to say that the, your treasure is the thing is the thing you value in a way that it assigns value to everything else in your life? So it's kind of like the most yeah, valuable thing that assigns value to everything else. Mm-hmm. Does you, you tracking? Like it's at the core of your value center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what decides what's valuable. So let's just put it in context. If money is my treasure, then all I have to do is look at my time to see what has the truest value. Because money has decided where all my time's going. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if money is my treasure... <clears throat> And then I look at my spending, and it tells me, like, money has assigned. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it gets um, to assign value to other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I use the terms means and ends a lot. So if if money is the end, everything else in this world will become a means to that end. Right. Including your family. Like, Mm -hmm. and dude, every idol demands sacrifice. That's right. And... There's so many of us that have sacrificed so many things in order to worship the idol of money. You sacrifice your babies, man. Like you, mm. you miss a bunch of tucking them in so you can go make more money. And then in our world, put that weight back on them because we tell them we're doing it for them. Mm. I mean, dude, I did college and high school ministry for 15 years. I never once met the kid that hated his dad because his car was crappy. Mm-hmm. But 
there's there's hundreds of them that had some serious dad wounds because dad they were a means to his end and his end was financial gain mm-hmm. at any expense and they became the sacrifice to that idol mm. and the crazy thing is is that Jesus made the sacrifice for us mm-hmm. so when we come to him it's not real it's not really sacrifice you've never sacrificed a thing when you bring your first and best to God, that's like sacrificing right. thirst, sacrificing hunger, mm-hmm. sacrificing loneliness. Mm-hmm. That's what you sacrifice because mm-hmm. you get him. So then when he is your ultimate end and you use all of these means as a mean to that end, that is how we glorify God with our house and our cars and our, mm-hmm. all the things because you're using those things to glorify him instead of them being the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I read that, it's, I mean, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You could, you could either say, what you're saying is, it doesn't really matter if, if it means where what you love is, your heart will follow, or the valuable thing, because that, that is the same thing. Correct. What you, you said it tonight, and it's my entire life, save eight, eight, seven, eight years ago, as a part of this church, My brain processed that verse in Luke 12, or whichever account you want to choose to read, of where your heart is, there your treasure is. Mm-hmm. And I just th- I just never critically thought about it. The Spirit just had not enlightened that. That is not what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. He says where your treasure is, Correct. Mm-hmm. there your heart will be also. Mm-hmm. And your treasure goes first. Correct. And so timing and priority, as you said, matters a ton. And that, when I saw that and God opened my eyes to that, it was like, and then as soon as you see the principle of firsts for the first time, Mm -hmm. there's no other way to read scripture. (laughs) Correct. Mm -hmm. It's like the, I mean, it goes all the way back. It's just, it's like the layers just start to unfold and you're like, that's it. Correct. Is is that something has to go first, and whatever goes first has a lot of power. No doubt, man. No doubt. <clears throat> and the reason that God wants us to be generous is not so like the church can meet its needs. It's because He's trying to meet your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you put your you put your uh, principle of preeminence lenses on, and you look at everything happens in the Bible. I don't know. Elijah, I think it's probably First Kings, maybe seventeen around there. He's 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 like on his way to go crush all the idols on Mount Carmel, and he bumps into this widow, right, with a son, and there it's been a three year famine. She's got nothing. He's like, hey, can I get something to drink and something to eat? She's like, I got nothing. I got some flour and some oil. I'm gonna make a last meal and die. Mm-hmm. And then he says, Tell you what, how about make me a cake? And first, give it to me. There it is, principle of the first. Mm-hmm. Like you give to God's man. That's what he's saying, right? Little does she know that the reason, like, why didn't he could have gone to a rich guy? Mm-hmm. He didn't go to a rich guy. Mm-hmm. God sends the prophet of God to this poor woman who has nothing, not because the prophet needs something, but because this woman needs something. Right. And when she figures out that you do what God says and you bring him first, she's got a son with a terminal illness who's going to die in a few verses. And then that prophet's going to bring that son back to life. In the bumper video, when Charles Martin is talking about 
he didn't use these words, but he's like, I am swimming in the lavish pool of God's love that my dad paid for me with his generosity. Mm -hmm. That's what God wants for you. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, bro, we are hopefully blessing our children and their children, not just because we save up for them an inheritance, mm. but because hopefully in our homes we are establishing the way we talk about God, the way we talk about money. He is first. He loves first. He went first. This is why we do this with mm. the money that God has given us. Yeah. You pointed this out tonight. I mean, that's why I love, I never really understood that until this week, but the fact that he talks about your eye, what, you, what your eye sees, your eye either fills your body with darkness or light. The same way uh, your treasure fills you, uh, it draws your heart in. You know, he's saying that you can't, if your eyes are closed or if your eyes bad, it's all dark. Or if your eyes open and sees light, it's all light. The same way the treasure impacts the rest of your heart that immediately and that completely. You know, I, I've never seen that before right smack up next to this. And a part of what I'm, part of what Jesus does that I'm trying to remind our folks of with this two kingdom thing is, it reminds me a little bit of fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Mm -hmm. Okay. We live in a world that spends billions of dollars a day to fix our eyes on things that we can spend our money on. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, it will affect all the rest of us if mm -hmm. that's what we begin to treasure. And so a part of what these sermons do and disciple groups that you're in and these conversations, hopefully, is just... We got to be reminded, man, pick your eyes up above the mm -hmm. horizon. Like mm -hmm. we were created for so much more. This isn't, we don't live here forever, man. Quit it, quit acting like mm -hmm. you're a citizen of this kingdom. Mm -hmm. Like invest in his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Respond with your first and best to him. Because the things that we own, own us. Mm -hmm. Like you think you grab on to this lifestyle and this lifestyle grabs on to you. Mm -hmm. And then you're not free to do what he mm -hmm. calls you to do. Mm -hmm. And you've, and you thought if I had this much money, I would be free, and then you feel like a slave because mm -hmm. you're house poor, and God nudges your heart to sponsor one more kid, and you ain't got it. Mm -hmm. Or he tells you to do something generous for your brother-in-law, and you can't do it. Mm -hmm. And then you and your worry goes up and up and up mm -hmm. and up and up, even though your resources have gone up, and you think, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. And what's wrong is you're living by the rules of the kingdom of darkness. Mm. How does sight relate to what you value? You know, Because what you're saying is... Mm -hmm. Pick your sight up. And what are you? What are you choosing to focus on? How does? How do those two correlate? Well, your whole body follows whatever you look at. Mm -hmm. So my son is sixteen, and uh, so he's a new driver, and uh, hopefully we've grown out of this some at least. But if you'll notice, like if he's looking for a particular turn and he's looking over here to the right, we all going right, you mm -hmm. know, because everything follows where you fix your eyes. Mm -hmm. and I think that's a part of what is what Jesus is talking about with money. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, man, if I were to take your wallet, you would pay a lot more attention to me mm -hmm. because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And wherever we, affix, wherever we fix our attention, our affection follows, and then our body goes with it. And mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, fix your eyes, your affection, your attention on me. Mm -hmm. hmm. I was thinking about this. Earlier today, and Jesus constantly calls us back to child, a childlike faith, a childlike state. Trust him like a child. So I started thinking about what does it take, like based on how God has created humanity, what does it take in order for 
a child to grow up healthy with a, the best opportunity to flourish, right? Mm-hmm. And God can overcome anything, and sure. so this is not an indictment on anybody's situation, but I was really thinking through what are all the components, and how does that play out as an adult and you mature? And one of the things that I was thinking about, and it's, it was a new thought to me, I may have, somebody else may have said it, but one of the things that really is indicative to your development as a child is growing up in a home with two parents who love you and love each other. For sure. And so I started thinking about the relationship for the adult who's trying to trust Jesus like a fi- uh, uh, like a child, the relationship between God the Father and the church. Mhm. Mhm. Jesus the church is the best imagery is that she's Jesus's wife. Correct. And oftentimes people will be like, I'm just doing my own thing with God, or I just have a personal relationship and I don't really need the church. And I'm like, no, man, you don't understand. You're, you're, you're missing out on the, f- the totality of what it means to grow up in a healthy home as mm-hmm. a believer. Yeah, yeah. You know, cause you need, that's a good word. I mean, it might break yeah. down somewhere, but yeah, I'm yeah. like, you need mom and dad <clears throat> yeah, totally. working together for your good. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was thinking, I was thinking through that in regards to like, the distinctives of the local church and and the supernatural reality that is the church, the people of God gathered in local cities all over the world. That I mean, what a thing, right? That mm-hmm. that we get to be a part of the activity of God on the planet Earth. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty wild. Yeah. And you can see, I mean. You can see what happens to families when there's when there's brokenness in the home, and it's kind of like you're saying, without both of those things, you're basically choosing, kind of choosing a broken home, you know, right. without both sides. And who? I mean, everybody grew up in a parents in a in a situation. Like I was thinking about that in terms of a, a relationship I'm in, talking discipling with somebody, and talking through you know church hurt in their past, mm-hmm. not, not with our church necessarily, but. And I'm just like, yeah, man, like I can think through countless times where my mom and dad disappointed me. And maybe different from God, but maybe like they actually disappointed me, or maybe they didn't give me what I wanted, or they didn't do what I thought they should do when I thought you see what I'm saying? And For so sure. that having to work through that as a child is what produces healthy development in me. And it's having to grow up where I'm dependent on others and I'm a part of a dependent union. Anyway, I thought it was a pretty so cool So I had to stop, and I didn't use it as an illustration. I'm, a, I'm careful. I, I for sure tell stories about my kids all the time, mm-hmm. although I don't know if I told you this. Now that they both attend the service, they, they've they connived against me and said, Dad, if, if you use a story about us, you got to give us $5. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And somehow JP came across the idea of intellectual property, and I was like, whatever, okay, it's worth the five bucks. So anyway, but... I'm not always trying to like tell these stories about how they're the greatest because they're not. But in regards to finances, my kids are just as terrible as everybody else as far as like they want stuff or whatever. But let me tell you, um, JP's got a little job. He loves using his own money first. But we have no problem. Like he comes here virtually every Wednesday night for students, but he likes to get here early and go to Al's and get a piece of pizza. And he'll be like, can I have some money for the pizza? And I'm like, yeah, no problem, right? And you got to take your sister, and here's enough money. And then I give him plenty of money. He has zero problem when he gets home saying, here's your change, right? Mm-hmm. Why? 
Because his whole life, he knows there's more where that came from. Mm-hmm. That's it. He knows. He does not have a scarcity mentality. He knows it's not his. He knows what it's been given to him for. He knows if he doesn't buy his sister pizza and I find out, then that won't happen anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And so he freely receives it and then freely brings it back to me. Mm-hmm. Because of what you're saying, he knows his mom and daddy love each other. They ain't going anywhere. And we love him. And there's plenty where that came from. Mm. So the way he, the financial freedom that he has right now in his life is it's maxed out, right? Mm-hmm. That is what God wants for us. Mm-hmm. If we could be that kind of free, if we could trust him so much mm-hmm. that we know, okay, I'll do whatever you tell me to do with it. I'm grateful for it. I'm going to go enjoy it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to bring back to you what is yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, and what's wild on the treasure, you talked about the treasure. What you're talking about is once you get down at the level where you understand that God is not just saying, it's not a dutiful obedience. Mm-hmm. He's not saying, bring it to me, and we'll see if you do, and if you do, then right. it, that's not how, how it works that what you said at the end tonight about it being a response to who he is and what he's done Mm -hmm. on the treasure side, it's some of what we talked about last time, but one of the best parables is when uh, I say best parables, like there's one parable that's better than another. One of my preferred favorites (laughs) is when Jesus talks about the man who finds the treasure. Mm -hmm. It's one of the shortest ones. It's like a verse and a half. Right. Right. And, And when you think about the treasure from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. He has, at great expense to himself, proven Mm -hmm. that you are his treasure. Yeah. And and that what he wants Mm. is for his treasure to be alive. You You know what I mean? Like he sent his son to claim back for himself something that he has decided for his own glory's sake is going to have immense value. And that's you, and that's me, and that's you know everybody who is is a child of faith. That we are God's treasure, and when you realize God, not because I deserve it, but because He's good, God treasures me. This is what He did to prove it. Right, go for it. You know, you know what I mean. It's just a totally different way than like the dutiful. No, yeah. And another driver for me is I want some more people to experience what I've been able to experience. Right. So when the how do you lay up treasures in heaven? All right. Well, what else can you take to heaven other than people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is not a competition, so that you know, there's no competition in heaven. Right. Right. This is you. Ha- I. I. There are people that God has put in my life, and and. From my limited perspective, random tribes, cultures, and nations that have never heard of him. And I am driven by use me however you may mm-hmm. and 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 let me bring back to you so that there's more people that can experience that kind of freedom in him, mm-hmm. that kind of love in him. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me in the I saw this for the first time tonight as you were preaching in Luke twelve, when Jesus gets into the parable of the rich fool. Right before that is verse 8. Chapter 12 is don't be a Pharisee is how it starts. Have no fear. Fear, money, anxiety, it's all connected. No doubt. Mm. Then he gets into the acknowledge Christ before men. 
This is just Jesus talking, right? It's like right. you said, it's not broken into subcategories. Right. When Jesus, he's just teaching mm-hmm. the kingdom. He says, acknowledge Christ before me, and if you acknowledge me before men, I'll, I'll acknowledge you before my Father, right? And then, just so Jesus is doing, acknowledge me. Center your life on me. Confess me before men. And then this random brother, verse 13, it says this. Right after the acknowledge me before men, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. (laughs) Is that not it? Where you're like, Jesus is talking about these unbelievable, supernatural, majestic, like cosmic realities of the confession of the second person of the Trinity as the source of life. And you're like, I got a question. Could you get my brother to give me what's mine? Is that 10% before taxes or after taxes? (laughs) What happens if I work on commission? That's right. If I I inherited money, um, am I supposed to? uh, Right. My my mom already tithed on it, so is that not the double tithe? Yeah, bro. And so even some of these questions I've asked in my life, and so I'm not coming at it with like, it's means and ends for sure. If the if if the means to those questions are so the end is you can keep more, then yeah, it's an idol. Yeah, and I've if been, you're I've asking these guy. kind of questions because you were trying to figure out how to faithfully and rightly, you, you know, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard first fruits giving for mm-hmm. bringing and for in your entire life, and you're mm-hmm. like, I don't want to mess this up. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like that, man. It is an an, an example I didn't use. I thought about using it is is you know. God, imagine you, we don't have to imagine it. You get your kid a Wii, PlayStation, Xbox, whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. They treasure it. They love it. They're freaking out. They're like, you're such a good dad. Thanks, dad. You sit them down in front of the TV for an hour or two, and then you come back in and be like, hey, can I get a turn? Their response tells you a lot. Mm -hmm. Dude, we're the kid. Mm -hmm. And how many people are like, this is mine. Mm -hmm. You're like, What? Right, Mm -hmm. because what the dad, the reason that you would give it to him is so that we could play together, Mm -hmm. so that we could enjoy this together. Because you want to be a guy, a dad of yes, Mm -hmm. right? But you, you get in the well. How long? How long, dad? How long you gonna play? Because you know that kind of thing. It, it, and it's silly. You think it's silly in that kind of example, Mm -hmm. except it's just most of us that'll be in church this weekend. Mm -hmm. Mm You're talking about using your sanctified imagination. You know, what do you think Jesus' tone of voice was when he said, man, who made me a judge or <laughs> arbiter over you? <laughs> man, what you talking about? That's right. Uh, and you, so you talked about this also, uh, you know, when in that parable, he says, I will say to my soul, hmm. and he's talking to his soul. So I noticed that for the first time ever mm-hmm. this afternoon getting yeah. ready. So... What's what can we do? So when you hear that and you say, watch your inner dialogue, watch your watch what you're saying to your soul about what you treasure. And how could somebody take just that little thing, just that little what seems like kind of a a couple words on the side of this parable? How can somebody take that and say, okay, how do I evaluate? What am I saying to my own soul? Well, for one, I think it's evidence that his wealth and barns are not speaking to his soul. Right. And he thought they were. Mm-hmm. He thought they were going to satisfy him at the soul level, and they're not. So now he's trying to tell his soul, soul, we are now satisfied, but mm-hmm. it ain't working. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting that it's just intuitive in the heart of every man, woman, and yeah. child that eternity is imprinted upon us. Mm-hmm. I, I think we need to be also for parents raising their kids. Um, 
it's it's very very important how you talk about money around the house because you yeah. can teach your kids implicitly that money is your master. If you're always talking about we ain't got enough, mm. but here at church we're telling the kids God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, mm-hmm. and yeah. you can teach your kids to be devoted to one and hate the other. Right. That's oh. right. Don't you think that the it's a worthy deep dive to talk about the reality of being a soul. Yeah. And it is lost mm. massive traction. Mm. Especially in the modern industrialized western civilization that we live in, we are now in the fight for the rise of the autonomous self. Right. Which is completely an abandonment of the Eastern, Middle Eastern reality of being a soul. And it's a compartmentalization of right. your life as if mm-hmm. you're not just one eternal self on a forever journey of desire. That that's what you are. Right. You're not a self. You are a soul. Correct. Mm-hmm. Which means Correct. you're on an eternal journey of desire. You are a psychosomatic, unified body and soul. Mm-hmm. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. That's right. right. And the importance of your body also matters according to God's redemptive plan mm-hmm. in as revealed in Scripture. Mm-hmm. So we're also can't fall into Gnosticism where you think the soul is the only thing that matters and the body is just kind of discarded. Right. No, 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 man. We Our body will be resurrected and we'll be unified with it in a glorified state mm-hmm. as intended. I always thought that the phrase lost soul was like referring to a destination, you know, that this is where the soul ends up when it's lost oh. versus it's a condition. That's right. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's not just some place you're, you're not heading toward lostness, but you're in the condition mm-hmm. of being lost. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> I heard a really great illustration of that. This guy was preaching. And he was, you know, it was funny. The story was funny, but he was talking about how they went out deep sea fishing and the and the engine conked out on the boat and they got lost. Mm. And what he was saying is we he said, you know, the reason that we were lost is because the boat was broken. The boat wasn't mm. broken because we were lost. These mm. are fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. So apart from Christ, you are broken. And that's why you were lost, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. We don't we live in a time of extreme Gnosticism, like the division that exists in kind of the prevailing culture of, you know, your sex life doesn't have anything to do with your soul. Your possess your possessions and spending habits don't have anything to do with your soul. What you think about isn't what you listen to, what you watch doesn't have anything. To, you know what I mean? And it's people aren't necessarily talking about it, but the denial of that is what's causing all these problems, right? Because the disintegration of the soul is the result, and because of that denial, you fail to make the connection, right? And you, you, you gave the illustration tonight. You said, uh, you know, go to the doctor, and you, know, you think it's one thing, but maybe it's something else because you can't separate yourself. You're just yeah. one. Yeah, for sure, and the soul is very, very sticky. You know, it's like Velcro. So you're going through life mm. and stuff's just sticking on to the soul. That's why the eye is so important because mm-hmm. it's just like, what are you inviting to stick on to your soul? I mean, right. how many of us have 
histories of things that produce where shame and guilt stuck on our soul. And for no reason at all, it'll just recall itself. And every time it does, you should surrender it, lay it down, confess the victory of the blood of Jesus over it for sure. But joking 20, 30 years ago, in some cases longer, things that it just got stuck on you Mm -hmm. on this journey. Mm -hmm. And it is it is forgiven there is freedom but it's just like the soul is a sticky thing you know and stuff can stick to it and mm-hmm. so the question is what are you inviting to to leave its mark to grab onto the handles of your soul you know and, what i mean and, and don't you think there's so many folks that don't have the tools to deal with that you know sure. the biblical tools they don't have the right kind of friendships and accountability they're mm-hmm. not inviting the spirit of god to do work in them they're like real timid in their worship cuz they're you know it's mm-hmm. kind of fear driven and so here comes the enemy with the next new shiny thing, the next paycheck, the next step on the ladder of success, whatever the right. thing is, because it's like cotton candy to the soul, man. It feels mm-hmm. good for a second. It does. I mean, isn't it the weirdest thing in the world? You get a new coat, you get a new jacket, you get a new pair of pants. So you put weird. it on, you feel like a better human. Yeah. It's the weird. All right, you get a hat that fits right. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. I am awesome. Good. Right. I am awesome. And it is, man. It, 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 it is. It is. It's like just pouring sugar yeah. on the soul. It does totally. nothing for you. It'll kill you in the long run, but, man, it feels good right now. Mm-hmm. And the enemy has like made an, an, an entire industry of this to say, mm-hmm. just just buy this, wear this, drive this, and then, mm-hmm. man, that, that soul itch that you have, this is what's going to satisfy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This quote from John Ortberg, I believe. I don't have the quote er, written down here, but I mm-hmm. think it's John Ortberg. He says this. The soul seeks God with its whole being. So if you've ever wondered what you're looking for, you're looking for God. Mm. The soul seeks God with its whole being because it is desperate to be whole. The soul is God smitten and God crazy and God obsessed. My mind may be obsessed with idols. My will, uh, my heart may be enslaved to habits. My body may be consumed with appetites, but my soul will never find rest until it rests in God. And ha- have you ever been in that situation where, look at it in the context of a relationship, or someone you know who is experienced or walking in a real season of rest and trust and belovedness and treasure and freedom? Mm-hmm. And someone who would agree with all of the same things in the statement of faith, but they are walking not in those things, but they are angst-ridden. They are filled with insecurity and doubt. And you understand what I'm saying? Like, and so those, it really fundamentally issues of trust and rest are, are married. Mm-hmm. And what your soul is, my soul is dying for or craving is to find its whole, complete rest in God. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 is come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. And dude, if that does not describe the rat race for mm-hmm. more stuff and more money, and more, mm-hmm. right? And then at the end of that invitation, he says, and I will give you rest for your soul. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where you find it. You find it in him. Mm. 
I really don't know a person attending our church that would disagree with that statement. But yet, how do you wake up tomorrow and then live that out mm-hmm. and not just go after the next new shiny mm-hmm. thing? It reminds me of kind of what you said last week about you gave those illustrations about how the upside down kingdom is almost like uh, the matrix or stranger things. You know, you can kind of see the behind the curtain a little bit. And I mean, it just makes me so thankful for the word of God because just think about, man, where would I, cause I'm just as susceptible, like you said, of putting on the hat and the coat and the pants and being just like this, <laughs> I am the stuff, you know? And how grateful are we that we have this, if we'll actually look and pay attention, that we have something that will, pull that back and like almost like put the 3D glasses or the X-ray glasses on and show us there's just so much more going on there that you don't, that you maybe don't see otherwise. You know, Jesus looked at the crowd and he was compassionate because they were, they were lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, you think about people who don't have this lens to see through of like these real spiritual realities, strongholds, um, I mean, just think about it. If that's if you if you believed, I mean, you and I believe the thing about the coat and the hat, and we have this, right? Yeah. You know, think about somebody who has who doesn't have that that test of truth to say, man, get your eyes off of that. Yeah. Well, the prescription is in preeminence. It, it, the mm-hmm. prescription is firstness. Mm-hmm. Right. The diagnosis is being able to allow the Spirit of God invite the Spirit of God and be aware of all the categories of your, not assume upon your activities, but to be aware of actually what's going on in regards to what is actually first, mm-hmm. right? And so if you were, if you aren't living and trusting, let me just, when I haven't been living from a place of trust and rest and confidence in my Father's love and, and Christ at the center you know, the, mm-hmm. the believing the victory in the gospel. When I haven't been living there and I'm angst-filled and I'm anxiety-ridden and I'm control-obsessed and I'm insecure, and I'm, which all these things happen, have happened many, many times on regular patterns in my life. And the question I have to go back to is where slash what am I going to first? And often what I find is, the, let's just take it in terms of work. Mm-hmm. We're pastors. We work at a church. You constantly are in front of people and with people and around people. And if you have any kind of like approval of man stuff going on, they can jack with you in big ways, right? If you're not gospel-centered for sure. The question is, when the anxiety rises or when the feelings, whether they're real or not, the feelings of disapproval or I'm going to let people down or I'm going to fail, what do I go to first? Do I go to working harder, trying harder? Like, let me send another text out first to see if I can fish back some positive reinforcement to make me feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. Do I go to, I just need to get away from everybody. I just need time alone. If I can just get brainless activity time with Netflix or with whatever. Or a bourbon. And, or a bourbon or whatever. Or a bourbon and Netflix and you know what I mean? In a dark room. If I can just get away. So it's like, where do I go first? That often reveals to me the, the depths and it just shows the misalignment. Correct. And it can't, 
if I'm not going to Christ first and to the gospel first, I'm not preaching the gospel to myself, but I'm trying to like solve my own problems with my own personal math equations. Man, I'm just chasing my tail around to find my elbow. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, you're just on a downward spiral into habitual behavior. Hmm. And those habitual behaviors might not be the ones that are like, Won't get you I don't have many habitual behaviors that are going to like be diagnosed by culture as these are the ones that are ruining your life. Does that make sense? Oh. However, I have many habitual behaviors that I will go to first mm-hmm. that cannot produce joy mm-hmm. and I cannot find rest in. You see what I'm saying? 1,000%. The heart is deceitful. True that, Jeremiah 17, mm-hmm. wicked above all things. So we were talking about you know giving your kid a gift and um, that made me think of you know, and the things that we say around our kids, maybe think one time we were, uh, we were in, in kind of a tight spot financially, and we we had said a couple things around the kids, like oh, we can't go out for that thing or whatever. And yeah. my kids just so sweet. He's like, "I've got two dollars. We can go. We can, can, what can we give for that? You know." Uh, but what what do you think the impact of the way you grew up, like money and giving? I mean, so. Certainly, we talk a lot about as people, if you're counseling somebody or whatever, like your family of origin has a huge impact on what you believe about the world or how, what you take into your marriage or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, how has that, how have y'all found your beliefs about money or what money was like for you in your home uh, affecting your adult life? Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't think people realize that, that, uh, Having a budget and running a financial plan is a learned behavior. I think yeah. my dad thought I was just going to inherit it because right. my dad's great with money mm. and he always has been. We would, I thought, man, like say third grade, go to Walmart, can I get a GI Joe man? He's like, son, we can't afford that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought we were so poor, we were barely making it. Little yeah. did I know that we were doing pretty good. Uh-huh. Not, I mean, you know, just like regular working class, pretty good. Right, right. And he's always been good with money and he's, saved and underspent and all those kinds of things but he taught me zero of that Mm. i guess he thought i was just gonna you know i got his name i would live that way and i went off the rail i get to college i told this story years ago they offered me a free t-shirt to get a visa card and i was like how could that go wrong i'm twenty four thousand dollars in credit card debt at one point wow expensive t-shirt bro i still have it though (laughs) i still do yes (laughs) That's a twenty-four thousand dollars T-shirt. Yeah, I had to then go buy me some Dave Ramsey books, dude. I'm married. Like I've I've led my wife into this mm-hmm. black hole. Also, and mm-hmm. come with me as I ruin our family, you know. Mm-hmm. And using credit cards to pay for other credit cards, and just t- it was terrible, Oof. man. I mean, terrible. It wasn't until I moved to Florida as a youth pastor at Pastor Jerry's church, and the first sermon I ever sit in ever is he says this you cannot be a fully devoted follower of jesus christ and be up to your eyeballs in debt and i thought well you just hired me so Mm -hmm. i'm in trouble and then i had to then learn just some just like you have to learn to drive and learn Mm -hmm. to swim right all these things you're taught by other people and so i i signed up for some like financial peace university stuff and we started just running the dave ramsey play Mm -hmm. it was it's a very decent playbook we Mm -hmm. started running the hat but I think that was the biggest miss. Mm-hmm. My dad never taught me and just thought I would somehow inherit it. 
and that mm-hmm. is not the case. Mm-hmm. So we are trying to do things with differently with our kids mm-hmm. so that they can appreciate, you know, just basic things like right. you need to know where it's all going. Mm-hmm. Even before you budget, at least know where it's all going. Then you create a budget so you can tell it where to go. Mm-hmm. One of the easiest ways to not have your money master you is you tell it where it's going. That's called a budget. Mm-hmm. And just some of those basic, they don't sound very spiritual, mm-hmm. but they're some of the most practical things mm-hmm. ever. I mean, think about all the goofy things you have to know to graduate high school. Mm-hmm. And we do not teach any high schoolers mm-hmm. how to how to balance a checkbook or manage a checking account or any of that, you know, basic investment mm-hmm. philosophy so that compound interest could work for them for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. But they could dissect a cat and name every part. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of silly. Right. Yeah, Jesus presumed that we'd use logic. I mean, he said, uh, nobody tries to build a tower without counting the cost. You know, like you should know how to project to build a project, you know what I mean? So know what you're doing. What about, what would you say? Yeah, I grew up in a system that two things simultaneously were going on. One is my family was very generous and Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot. And my dad was a, a pastor and, Mom and dad were high school sweethearts and all the things, and they got married in college, and he pastored mostly small country churches and, until we were, you know, a little bit older and kids, and um, just a totally different world. And he grew up in a world where, like, the idea that you would want to, like, bless your pastors with, you know, a, a gift card or, you know, you would not want them or expect them to live in the homes owned by the church that had old ratty carpet and were too small and only had air conditioned wall units, if any, you understand? Mm -hmm. Not that anybody was complaining, but that was the world he pastored in Mm -hmm. was pastors are supposed to be poor. Mm -hmm. And it's a very much a poverty gospel, which we can talk about the prosperity mm. gospel and the poverty gospel, mm. both of these things. The gospel are, needs no adjective. Yeah, if you put an adjective on the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. Correct. That's right. So I grew That's up. Good. I grew up in that um, system, all the while having a father that was very generous. Mm-hmm. You know, many things, cars. Not that they were nice cars, but many acts of generosity. I saw him give, like shirt off your back kind of stuff. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of who he was. And so I had this real like dichotomy going on in in my brain. And so I've always like, it brings me joy to buy your dinner. Mm -hmm. Like I've just always been that way. Mm -hmm. Like me too. I'm not looking for you to say thank you. I'm not looking for, I just Mm -hmm. like to buy you dinner. Mm -hmm. And I don't like, and maybe on the other side, there's like, I have a gospel problem. I don't like it when you buy me dinner. (laughs) You do have a hard time receiving gifts. For sure. You really do. And I think a lot of that's rooted in my my, my childhood stuff that mm-hmm. that was just not an acceptable thing. Um, and so, I, so there's a lot of that generosity that was just kind of inherent to me mm-hmm. that I didn't realize when I was a teenager in college or even after college. Like there, we have many staff here that I were fr- I was friends with through college, and God blessed me with them as a friend. And I would do crazy stuff like. They'd call me and they'd be struggling financially. And I'd be like, hey, why don't you come to my house this weekend and help me paint my mailbox? And I'd pay them like $400. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know what I – it's just a thing. Like, And I saw it in my dad. I saw it in my grandfather. Like, it was great. 
on the other side of that, I, the the other side that I was constantly dealing with was this like duty based obedience, and it really put a like distaste in my mouth, specifically around money. That because it was not from a treasure, not mm-hmm. from a response. It was a you do it because it's the right thing to do. You know, the mm-hmm. very dutiful. And over a process of many years, I've moved in every area of obedience, and I'm still moving from being obedient to God from a sense of, from a place of dutiful obligation mm-hmm. to like, you talked about the maturing stages tonight and generosity and mm-hmm. in, in giving financially. And I think there's also just general obedience. There's kind of three mm-hmm. ways I look at it. One is it is better to do what Jesus said than not do what Jesus said. Fact. So even if your motivation is dutiful, I trust the power of God, the Spirit of God, yep. and the Word of God. Right. It's just not the best and highest. Right. You know, there's not a ton of joy in it when everything's like, yes, girl sergeant. Right. You know. And then there's like delight that I get to do this. God's been good to me. I get to be obedient to him. What a gift. Obedience is a gift mm-hmm. in every area. Totally. What a gift. And then there's like the mature, like in my opinion, what is like a very mature place to walk in, which is design. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm on the planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why God designed me. And so moving from duty to design, there's a lot of joy in that. There's a lot of growth in that. But that's the journey I went on. It started mm-hmm. very much, look, man, I got saved at church when I was a teenager on a sermon. They preached a sermon on tithing, and I got saved that night. Hmm. And I couldn't tell you anything they said other than it was on tithing. And we, our practice was at the end of every service, regardless of what we talked about, right. <clears throat> you give an invitation. And that night, it was just like the Spirit of God yanked me out of the seat mm-hmm. and and so God can use anything to, but in my life, going through that journey of, mm-hmm. and the truth is, like, the reason I did it dutifully is because he wasn't my delight. Hmm. You know, it's because I wanted to keep more for myself. Look, I told you this. One time I came home in our children's ministry, our children's team was leading our kids through um, giving mm-hmm. and just talking about giving and generosity. And I come home and, and my daughter's crying about it. She's like, I don't want to give it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Funny. And uh yeah, and I text honest. you, I text you and I was like, you're not going to believe I just came in on Anna Catherine and she just straight looked me in the face and said, Mm-mm. I don't want to give it up. And you just replied back, none of us do. That's right. And yeah. from a starting point, it's true. None of us yeah. start there. Right. But the more you trust it and the right. more you lean into it, right. when the more it goes first, the more you begin to see freedom. See, because I don't, I don't want to paint the wrong picture about my dad. He was also the guy in town that so many people came to for help. Right. Like if they needed, uh, and as a non-believer, I mean, he was kind of, you know, he grew up in church, but you, you guys know his story. He came to faith two summers ago. Um, <clears throat> but the part, so I get to see that. What I didn't get to see is he did not show me, he's like a duck. Everything looks smooth on top of the water, mm-hmm. but he was paddling like crazy under the water. He did not show me the discipline that he had to mm-hmm. allow himself to be have the freedom to loan people money, to give people gifts, to fix people's stuff, you know, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. He, he just didn't show me any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's the component that can that can often be missing. And I, I would imagine in a whole bunch of our homes here at 1122, mm-hmm. that we're not teaching our kids stewardship, mm-hmm. you know? For sure. 
what made the switch? So you talked about kind of getting out of debt and getting to like financial health. What, what was there a person or a season or something that happened that made uh, that flipped the switch for you that was like, no, I want to go aggressively towards genero- like radical generosity with my life? <clears throat> yeah, one of the things, so I immediately after that sermon went to Pastor Jerry, who was my boss, and said, hey, there, I got a problem. Mm-hmm. I got a financial problem. And I'm not asking for more money to solve it because mm-hmm. that's never, more money is never the solve to financial problems, mm-hmm. right? Because <clears throat> his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, including mm-hmm. however much money you make. And so, like I said, we got on that plan. One of the things that was great is he gave us a lot of grace. And he's like, well, it took you 10 years to get here. It's going to take you more than one sermon to get out. Mm-hmm. And so that was very, very helpful. And so, even though I was on staff at a church, um, we made a commitment to the idea of tithing. Mm-hmm. At that point, I don't think we could have, you know, mm. um, and pay rent and all that kind of stuff. But we were committed that we were going to give our first and best and and with the goal of getting to the first 10% as soon as we could. When you do that, everything changes. Mm-hmm. I remember when... Um, the Mullises were trying to raise money to adopt. Mm-hmm. Okay. We probably all gave to that, right? Mm-hmm. But we gave to it, and then I didn't really think about that much. I was just happy I'm in a position I can do that stuff. But the way they were spending money in that season of their life, I'm sure, was different than any other time in their life. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, in those moments, that vacation was not as important as bringing their daughter home. Mm-hmm. So... When you have that kind of motivation, mm-hmm. that's what changes your spending habits. Mm-hmm. So our we were highly motivated right. to get out of debt and to get in line with what Jesus said about, mm-hmm. about giving. Now, at that point, I still had no idea about first fruits giving. I was still trying to get up to like dutiful obedience. I'm on staff at a church. I need to set the example, all those mm-hmm. kind of things. Then over time, I heard somebody say this one thing. They said... Something to the effect of, if God's not first in your life, it doesn't matter how your life's ordered, your life is out of order. Hmm. I took that concept, a couple of books you and I were looking at together, and then just did this deep dive of what does the gospel say about finances? Hmm. This is probably, what, seven, eight years ago? Something like that. 2014. And then the light came on for me one day that... When Paul in Colossians is talking about the preeminence of Christ, that is the firstness of Christ. And he doesn't do second, he doesn't do leftovers. Mm. It just is who he is. And mm. I'm not sure how that stuff happens in my brain. But then I look through it f- from a stewardship mentality, and that's when I began to see, all right, man, you don't give as like, it's kind of the end of the journey of your spiritual maturity. You know, when you get mature enough, then you're a generous giver. You don't give because even some kind of great grand vision that the church has, mm. you just respond in all aspects mm-hmm. of your life according to the Shema, to the character and nature of God. Mm-hmm. That began to be a motivating factor. Mm-hmm. And then as I look through the scriptures, seeing what it looks like for me and my family to be aligned with the way we were designed to reflect the gospel on this planet. I refuse to get out of that alignment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do not want to miss bringing my first fruits. Mm-hmm. Not out of a fear thing, but who would do that? Mm-hmm. Just like I don't want to miss a meal, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I don't want to miss a night of sleep. I don't mm-hmm. want to miss my family 
to God saying, one of the primary tactics that the enemy uses to take people out, and most often in my position, I refuse to go down that road. Mm-hmm. I want to be in line with the way you have designed us mm-hmm. to to image you here on mm-hmm. this planet. Mm-hmm. And at this point, that is the motivating factor. Yeah, it's the worship. It's worship. A one thousand percent. And the the reason Jesus connects anxiety, do not be anxious, and mm-hmm. then he goes on this diatribe about birds and all the things we talked about right and he's like you ever seen a worried bird no okay i got you right <laughs> right and and who who that is honest in the world could ever give any version of a testimony that did not say something along the lines of money is a constant source of worry right finances are a constant source mm-hmm. of anxiety it's not just that they're a source of anxiety is that they are a constant source of anxiety. I'm not saying anything about it every second of every day, but if you look at the pattern of the things you come back to in your life that you worry about, money's right hanging right around there and in top top level competitor, right? No Jesus doubt. says no, sure. the number one. Right. And then you, and you look at what is the remedy for worry? Mm-hmm. Worship. Mm-hmm. Worship every time is the remedy for worry. And worshiping God actively. See, that's the thing. You you called our church, God through you called our church to, hey, this year we're going to focus on worship. Yep. And one of the things that I really hope that we all get, that my family gets and every family that calls our church home gets, is this, that worship is not a feeling. It's a choice. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's not a feeling that you have. It is a choice that you make to worship God. And when you worship and worry cannot coexist. Correct. That's right. And I know, and you put this in regards to financial generosity, I know families in our church whose marriages were on the brink of divorce. One of my closest friends, their marriage was on the brink of divorce. And their testimony is, we worshiped God in our finances by giving, and we gave ourselves out. Hmm. We gave our way out of a divorce. Yep. That it is the... The choice that we made with our worship mm-hmm. that brought freedom in every other area of our life and gave us the freedom to really love each other in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. That's incredible. Yeah. We talked earlier about sight, you know, setting your eyes. Um, and I, I think also about this idea of the fight to believe. You know, you mentioned earlier um, Jesus' promise that it's more, it's more blessed to give than right. to receive. And you're talking, right. they're talking about that. You got to have a motivation that says, no, no, it's, that's actually better over there. Like, it's just blessed. It's fun when I'm free. When I'm free, you, you said that those two things a ton in the sermon. You said, I want you to be blessed and I want you to be free. Right. And that's the fight is to believe, like, just to believe God's word that he, that that's actually better. Cause he tells us very plainly that's a better way to live. Isn't it a statement about his character? Yeah. If you think about mm-hmm. it, that you can trust him for sure. Well, think about the, we say this phrase like God, God's interested or God's highest priority is God's own glory. Correct. This is a doctrinally faithful statement. So what we're saying, in a sense, is God wants to bless God. Correct. Mm-hmm. So how did God choose to bless Himself? For the sake of himself, by giving himself away. Correct. For God is more blessed mm. for him to give mm. 
than for him to only and solely receive. Wow. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because he was getting his anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he decided to place mm. – he decided to give yeah. himself away to someone else, yeah. us, through Jesus. Yeah, and yeah. That, do you see what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. You said it more eloquently than I, but last week I covered that briefly on answering the question, why would God allow the world to – turn into what it is mm-hmm. well to set up the grand meta narrative mm-hmm. of the most glorifying thing he could do which is step off his throne and give himself mm-hmm. for a traitor's race and adopt us as sons and daughters mm-hmm. yeah so that could all be summed up in for god's own glory it was more blessed for god to give than receive mm-hmm. and if we're going to become like him then we get we give ourselves away too totally um Pastor Joby, what encouragement would you give to somebody if uh, anything that maybe you haven't said yet? They want to take steps to grow in generosity. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're in a lot of debt, or maybe they're thinking, "How do I? How do I take a step?" Well, if you're a part of Love Twenty Two, we have financial counselors, we have classes. Like we want to be a tool to you mm-hmm. to help take those steps. These are learned skills; they are not just intuitive things you are born with. Mm. So it takes more than just like. The intention of the heart. You don't want to. It takes math, (laughs) (laughs) right? Bank accounts, things like that. So just reach out to us. We would get you connected. But one of the first things you could do if you don't know where to start, if you would just simply write down where it's all going right now, Mm -hmm. there should be no mystery in money. Mm -hmm. There's mystery in the spirit of God. There's mystery in miracles. There's mystery in what God's up to, all those Mm -hmm. kind of things. There's lots of mystery in and around what it means to be a Jesus follower, right? Mm -hmm. There should be no mystery in money. Hmm. A certain amount comes in, a certain amount goes out. You tell it where it goes. That mm-hmm. should not be a mystery. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, people are in a dark place because they have not shined light on their finances mm-hmm. and at least begin to see because they feel a thing about a money, about their money. Mm-hmm. And it is irrelevant. Your money doesn't mm-hmm. care what you feel about it when mm-hmm. it's coming and going. Right. And so a great place to start is there. It really is with some just practical, I know this isn't super spiritual, but just some practical, tactical. Mm-hmm. What am I doing with this money that God has entrusted me with? Mm-hmm. And so, again, reach out to us here at the church, and then we would be happy to get the right tools in your hands to mm-hmm. get you started. Mm-hmm. But don't stop there. Because to glorify God with your finances takes more than a sharp pencil and a good budget. Mm-hmm. you got to start getting into that heart place. Mm-hmm. The fundamental question is, are you serving money as your king, or are you serving the one true king. Mm-hmm. And what is he asking you to do? Mm-hmm. You know, what is he asking you to do? He's asking Gretchen and I right now to figure out. I mean, we legitimately are trying to figure out how to do more than we've ever done, not out of any sense of obligation or anything like that. And these, there have been steps along the way, you mm-hmm. know. There's been times where he's asked us to don't do this so we can do that mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things, but it's just the place that we are. Mm-hmm. And we got, you know, we're two years away from a kid going to college and all of that kind of stuff. But right now, God's saying, come on, trust me in this step. Just trust Mm -hmm. me in this step. Mm -hmm. And um, so ultimately, I mean, the ultimate answer is we've been talking about this a lot around church lately, where Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Mm -hmm. That's a good piece of advice. Mm -hmm. I mentioned tonight, I can't tell you what your next step is, whether it's like, do you downsize and sell some stuff so you got more freedom? God may be calling you to buy a brand new house in a brand new neighborhood so that you could be a missionary in that neighborhood. Hmm. But the real teacher around here, the Spirit of God, will tell you what to do if you lay it before him and say, all right, Lord, how do I glorify you in my finances? Hmm. 
Well, this has been great chatting about this. Um, I'd love to pray for us, pray for our church. That if you guys don't have anything else to add, you feel, I got one. You feel good. Thing I was thinking about it this morning. You're talking about first. <clears throat> I'm doing a Bible reading plan, so the first thing I do in the morning is get up and read. My, you know, I'm 48, so there's a couple of things I have to do to get to the Bible. But <clears throat> coffee, sit down, do my little reading plan. It's got me in Job right now, mm. which has just stirred my gratitude for God's gifts in my life. Healthy mm-hmm. kids, a wife that mm-hmm. loves me, all that kind of stuff. Okay, but the thing that I have in mind today that I'm preaching on money tonight. Mm -hmm. And I'm holding this device with a copy of God's Word downloaded to it. Mm -hmm. And then the second I'm done, six apps over is my bank app where I can look at a number that can stir in me either this sense of, uh uh-uh, or security. Mm -hmm. And... Two swipes over here is an Amazon app that I can hit a button and do some stuff and things show up and it's like, yay, you know? And I thought, man, the tactic of the enemy in regards to taking our eyes off of the author and perfecter of our faith Mm -hmm. and getting really hung up on the temporary treasures of this Mm -hmm. world these things are brutal mm-hmm. in regards to coaxing us into serving, trying to think we serve two masters. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. Bible, my bank account, mm-hmm. and my prime membership to Amazon <laughs> are all just touches away. Mm-hmm. And that is something to pay very, very, very close mm-hmm. attention to as to what gets your first. Mm-hmm. To pay very close attention yeah. to. That's why, that's why I like the paper Bible. There's no Amazon app on here. You know <laughs> yeah, you're I mean? more spiritual right. than me, too. <laughs> yeah, there, I would, before you pray, which please do, there's just a couple of questions running around in my mind as you're talking. One is on the diagnostic side in regards to firstness and preeminence. And to check your heart, mm-hmm. you know? And what I've, one of the questions I've asked myself over and over again is, do I treat people differently because of money? Mm-hmm. If I treat people differently because of money, then it reveals that it has mm. power in my life. Mm-hmm. And then go either way. Totally. Mm-hmm. So if, I'm, uh, if I think one way or act one way around people that I believe have financial power or are wealthy, or if I think a way or act a way because I feel like somebody has less or they're poor based on whatever my working definition of poor is, then and having been in the slums in the world and around some really, really wealthy people – you got to keep your heart in check, and, and you know what I mean. And so that that's one way to diagnose where, where's my heart on this issue. Mm-hmm. Do I treat people differently because they mm-hmm. because of how I perceive or I perceive their financial reality, mm-hmm. you know? And and then another one just simply is this: um, Do my behaviors reflect my what I say is my priority. Mm. You know, as we were talking about earlier, just going through the categories of your life. And Mm -hmm. is it actually true? Like, do my behaviors reveal the truth that I think my heart believes? That's always a great way to, to, Mm -hmm. to do diet. It takes a little soul searching sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's worth it. Yeah. What do you worship? Look at your calendar and your, your bank statement, you know, that's right. Um, One thing you said to me one time, that I hadn't thought before you said it was that <clears throat> money can be an idol for you, 
even if you don't have it. Because if you think it's the thing that'll solve all your problems, then money, you need to repent of your money idol if you think it's going to solve your problems. I, I used to think that people with money idols had a lot of it and were trusting it, you know, like, oh, the for security. But anytime you look to it, as it's like it's the thing to save you, then it's it's become it's the crazy thing is money is rarely the actual idol. It's right. usually a means to a greater idol. It right. could be the, it could be the idol of comfort, it could be power, it could be control, you know, whatever it is. It could be the fight against fear, you know. Mm-hmm. But it it you and I tell you one of the other things, I would just encourage folks that were listening to the sermon. If you felt um if there was a little more emotional response in you than there normally is. Pay very close attention to the work of the Spirit of God mm-hmm. toppling an idol. Like if there was some defensiveness and, yeah, but you don't understand. I, you know, mm-hmm. the moment you begin to feel that like self-justification, mm-hmm. it means you're not trusting in the justification that Christ gave you at the cross. Mm-hmm. And so pay very close attention. And you shouldn't beat yourself up for that. That's actually evidence that God's not done with you and that mm-hmm. you're an actual child of His. Mm-hmm. If you're just sitting in your sin, like you talked about last week, if you were at peace with that sin of greed in your life, danger. Mm. If you are not at peace because you think, uh-oh, mm. praise God. Mm-hmm. How good is he that yeah. he's taking like a hammer and a chisel and trying to mm. chisel out that piece of you that doesn't look like him? Mm. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us too much uh, to leave us where we are, that you're a good father and uh, that you discipline us for our good, that we might share in your holiness. Thank you for all of your just decrees, like Psalm 19 says, which are more to be desired than gold. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Help us to believe in the better reward that you promised to us. Help us to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and uh, to be open-handed and generous with our time, talent, and treasure, because you have been so generous to us. I pray for our church, and I pray for everybody listening in. Lord, would you help us to take a step of obedience for uh, our good and for joy in you, because you are the treasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, fellas.